chapter number 14. The book of Genesis chapter number 14. And from the text in Genesis chapter 14, we want to preach on this thought. Faith's focus. Faith's focus. Now, it may be that you're here tonight and you need to write down notes. You want to write down notes. And I would encourage you tonight to do so for sure. Write down the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I read somewhere that for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we know that faith's focus, our faith must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the first day of the week he arose. Amen. And if we believe that, we can be saved. Amen? Thank God for it. Faith is certainly the way to be saved. And faith is also to live life in victory. And tonight we're interested in living life in victory out of this chapter. In 1869, the blind hymn writer, Miss Fanny Crosby, she summed up the aspect of a Christian's mission. She said, rescue the perishing care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. So after we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we need to use our faith to live in victory and to reach other people for the cause of Christ. The first thing you can do, write this down, number one, the first thing you can do by faith is you can overcome the world to rescue a brother. In Genesis chapter 14, we saw four kings from the east attacked five kings from the plain. And for 12 years, they ruled over them. And the 13th year, the kings of the plain revolted and drove back the kings of the east. In other words, just think about sin dominating you for 12 years, and finally you say, I've had enough of this, I'm going to get right with God, and you revolt, and you drive the enemy back. But in the 14th year, the old devil, the world, comes back and says, oh no, who do you think you are to push us away? We're going to rule over you and dominate you. In the 14th year, they came back and once again defeated the kings of the plain. They fell in the slime pits. Lot was taken captive. His family, all his possessions and Abram learns about it, the man of faith, and he had enough faith to go rescue a brother. He took his 318 trained servants. Here's a man that had a mission. He was willing to take up arms, amen, and took his 318 trained servants and went to war against a superior-sized army. But by faith, he defeated the enemy, amen, and rescued Lot and his family, and many other people, men and women, and brought them back to a plane of safety. May I say that Abraham had a mission and Abraham had a mindset. He was a man of the altar. What was on his heart, what was on his mind was rescue the perishing, care for the dying. And by the help of God, he rescued, he restored Lot. So number one, you can overcome the world to rescue a brother. And we see that verse 16. 
he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. You can overcome the world to rescue a brother. I might, another R word, you can overcome the world to restore a brother. The Bible says if anyone's fallen, amen, ye which are spiritual. If anyone's overtaken in the fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one, amen. And you can restore them by faith, amen. Then we come to point number two for tonight. And this is where we're going to take up in verse 17. Write this down. You can overcome the devil to receive a blessing. Overcome the devil to receive a blessing. There are three that war against you. The world, overcome the world to rescue a brother. The devil, overcome the devil to receive a blessing and your flesh. We're going to deal with all these tonight. Number two, look at verse 17. And the king of Sodom, after the victory, after the victory that Abraham has received, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. Verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, and blessed be the most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latch, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Verse 24, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of men which went with me, Aner, Eschol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. After the victory, ooh, what a victory. Lot's been set free. A restoration, a rescue. The people, no telling how many children were there rejoicing. And now, no longer are they weeping because they're captives. They're weeping because they're set free. And the Bible says in verse 17 that the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram. The king of Sodom, his name is Berah, you see that in verse number 2, he represents the devil. Just as soon as you get victory in your life, here comes the enemy. He goes right out to meet him as he returns from the slaughter of that wicked king and all the world that was with him. And the Bible says in verse 18, there's another king that met him, Melchizedek. The king of Salem came forth to meet him. That represents the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the very same place, after you've gotten victory, 
and the enemy comes to meet you and defeats you, know that the Lord's there with you too. Amen. You're not in this battle by yourself. Let's look at these two kings real quick, okay? Let's look at the, let's look at, uh, the first king will be Melchizedek. He's the king that Abram received. Verse 18 says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. He represents a supernatural presence. Where did Melchizedek come from? After the battle, he just, he wasn't in the battle. You don't identify him. The king of Sodom had been there before. Where did the king of Salem just come from? Just, hey, he's a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold your place and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 7. The book of Hebrews chapter number 7. And let's look in the very first verse. Hebrews 7, 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem. I want to wait for you to find it. I hear pages still turning. That's good. I like it when you make it sure I'm preaching it right. Find it in the Bible. Hebrews 7, 1. Find it in the Bible. This is important. Hebrews 7, 1. Who is this Melchizedek, king of Salem? For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest from the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like, like, like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. I could read on. That Melchizedek, king of Salem, represents the supernatural presence of Almighty God that's with us when we face the enemy. No, right there, you never face the enemy alone. Look at what he did. He not only was a supernatural presence, but Melchizedek shared provisions with Abraham. The Bible says in verse 18 in our text that he brought forth two things. What were they? Bread and wine. Bread and wine which would be strength and supply for Abraham. Think about it. The unleavened bread and the unleavened wine were the instruments that Jesus used at the Last Supper. It's what you and I use when we have a time of, uh, of commemoration, a time of communion, a time of commitment. We use the bread and the fruit of the vine. Hey, those are things that spoil very quickly. That's what Melchizedek brought forth to Abraham. The unleavened bread represents the broken, sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of the vine represents the sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're looking back to Calvary, yet looking forward to His coming. 
Amen. As Abraham, as Abraham partook, he's looking forward to Calvary. Amen. There's going to be another conflict. There's going to be another battle that's greater than the one Abraham's just come through. Jesus is going to the cross to die for the sins of the world that we might be saved. Amen. So he is a supernatural presence. He has shared a provision. I think what he shared is very significant. You can see his supreme priesthood. Verse 18, he was priest of the most high God. What about that? He's a priest, thank God for it. He also uh, represents the sovereign possessor. Look at verse 19. He blessed him. What? He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. What about that? He blessed Abraham. May I say tonight to you that God has blessed you? You may be in a conflict, you may be in a war, but you're not in it alone, and God has blessed you. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. Now also, look, he showered proclamations all around. Look at verse 20. He said, Blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. Melchizedek recognized, Abraham, you are not able to win this battle alone. It was God that blessed you to win the conflict. Tonight, honey, all that we have and all that we are is by the blessings of Almighty God. And let Melchizedek just step out and say, Blessed be God who has given you the victory. Hey, thank God for it. Look at the servant's presentation. The Bible says at the end of verse 20, He gave him tithes of all. Abraham knew that God gave him the victory and Abraham gave tithes. That means a tenth. He gave him one tenth of everything that he had. He gave it to the Lord. This is before the law. This is before tithing was even a thing. Abraham, the richest man, the man of faith, recognized the presence of Almighty God and he gave a tithe, amen, in that immediate spot. You know why you give tithes? You give tithes because of the grace of God at work in your life. You give tithes because of the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God at work in your life. Hey, you look, if you have a sheep right now, and you say, well, I have a sheep, and all of the wool is mine. May I just say amen, that God gave me the sheep, and God allowed the sheep to have wool, amen. And it all belongs to him anyway, amen. He's let you keep 90% of it. If you really want to take a, talk to, the, write this word down, T-H-E-I-R-S, theirs. That's who's getting most of your money, amen? Yeah, you'll get that in a minute. <laughs> Abraham is giving God the honor in his life. Did you know that tithing, get, well, you're, you're going to hate me when I say this. You're not going to like it. Help me, Jesus. When you're tithing to the Lord, it is an act of worship. You will not really be blessed of God 
unless you're really tithing. Now there's some of you that you're making five and seven hundred dollars a week and you're putting twenty dollars in the plate and you're thinking, man, I'm tithing. No, you're tipping. You're not tithing. Ten percent is tithing. I teach math class. Twenty dollars is not ten percent of five hundred or six hundred or seven hundred. Amen. Neither is ten dollars. Neither is two dollars. Well, preacher Darren, it's the best I can do, honey. You may say that you can't afford to tithe, but I'll submit to you, you can't afford not to tithe. Amen. Give a quick example, and I'll go back to preaching. When I was a young man, Luke, you hear me. Man, we had a house payment. We we had a car payments. We had insurance. We had power bills. We had, son, oh, Lord, we had grocery bills. Yeah, let me sit down. Oh, it's getting bad. It was so bad, son, and we were so overcommitted, me and your mama. We didn't know what on earth was going to do. So I started volunteering for overtime. Any place in the factory that had overtime, I'd volunteer for it. And then it posted, Sunday would be double time. And I thought, man, I'll make double the money for the same hour. This will be great, boys. I'll make double money. I'll do a regular job, and I'll make double money. This is genius. I love this. I need to work Sundays more. So I skipped church on Sunday, and I went to work on Sunday. And I didn't have to work. I volunteered for the work. Oh, I got such a, Tyler, I got such a wonderful paycheck, son. Oh, I was doing so good. I thought, man, we're going to be able to pay the fire bill. We're going to be able to pay the house payment. We're going to be able to go eat a steak. This is great. And on the way home, it was pouring the rain. I hit a really deep patch of water that slid me over the ditch, but I thought, I'm okay. I've got a truck. It's four-wheel drive. I'm good. I came right out of that ditch, and this is what I heard. Boom. I run over a bottle that cut my tire and busted that tire right on the spot. Warped the frame. Cost me about $200 for the tire, about $400 for the wheel and the frame and the wheel bearing and everything that went. I spent almost $600. I didn't even make that much money on the Hey, it just pays, amen, not to volunteer for Sunday work, and it pays to tithe, give to God first before you give it to Wells Fargo or Bank of America or Walmart or whoever it is you're giving it to, give it to God first. Everything you got was His to start with, amen, and then deal with what goes on after. God will see you through. Abraham gave tithes to the priests of the Most High God, amen. So there is the king that Abraham received. There's another king there. He's the king of Sodom. It is the king that Abram refused. Verse 17 says, As soon as he came in the victory, for the victory, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter. Watch out for the devil right after you get victory. Verse 21 tells us what the king of Sodom said to him. He said, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Now can you imagine when Abraham went out all the things and all the people that were taken captive. He, he took all the possessions that were confiscated. He took all the people that were taken captive. He won the battle and brought everything back. And when he gets back, the king of Sodom says, You take the things, give me the people. You take the spoils, give me the souls. May I just say tonight, mom and dad... You know what the devil wants? He wants your children. He doesn't play fair. 
He doesn't give you a warning ahead of time. He's going to try to take your children. Will you young men listen to me? He'll try to slip things into your mind. He will try to slip things into your soul. The devil will do his best to take our children right out of this church. Ma'am, sir, are you listening to me? Three people are listening. Ma'am, sir, are you listening to me? The devil will not only take your children, he'll take your spouse. You may say, he had It's not what Abraham said. Abraham didn't just say, oh no, you can have them. Are y'all listening to me? Brothers and sisters? He'll take your children. He'll take your spouse. He'll take your pastor. I could take you to church after church where the man of God got wrapped up in something and God took him right out of there and it defeated the victory that was in that church. The devil wants your pastor. This pulpit's not for sale. You know, hey, pastors, let me tell you what the devil wants. He wants the children in your church. He wants the marriages in your church. He wants your ministry. He's going to give you things, toys, trinkets, things of the world. You take all these things. Just give me the people. May I say, preacher, are you listening to me? If you don't have people, you don't have a ministry. What good is a pastor without the people? If some more and I am gone from it. What good is a governor without a people? What good is a sheriff without a people? What good is a preacher without people behind him, amen? People that he's ministering to. Let me just say right now, he wants your family. And he says, Abraham, why don't you just give me the people and I'm going to give you things. I, I, listen, I, and I'll say this tonight, I don't want the devil to give me nothing. I don't want nothing from you. Can I say it again? Just in case he didn't hear it. Hey, I don't want nothing from the devil. Not a thing, amen. Now what a temptation. Abraham could become wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. He probably has no investment in the people other than bringing them back from captivity. He loves Lot, but Lot's already made a lot of worldly choices. Abraham could easily give up and give in to the flesh, give in to the devil. But Abraham, what's what Abraham says in verse 22? Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet from you. I added the from you. You see that? You, I don't know how many of y'all, I wish I had one. A thread. You know how small that, I'd like to just find something right. You know how small a thread is? One little thread. You, you have, maybe you, you get it added to your suit sometimes. You, oh, there's a thread on there. You pick it and you throw it off. 
Abraham said, not only do I not want your gold and your silver, I don't want your praise and your honor and your glory. I don't want a thread. I don't want a shoe latchet from you. I don't want you to say that you've enriched me, that you've helped me. I don't want to give you credit for one thing. I'm lifting up. Preacher, Darren, why did he lift up his hand? The Bible said you ought not to swear. Honey, he ain't lifting up his hand to swear. He's lifting up his hand to praise God. I'm giving God praise, amen. I'm not giving place to the devil. Amen. amen. I'm refusing you. I am rejecting you. God gets all the praise. God gets all the glory. God gets all the honor. You just heard the king of Salem, the king of peace, the king of righteousness say, it was God that blessed me with the victory. And I'm telling you, I'm giving praise to God. And I'm promising I'm going to serve him. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. When we take the credit, God will let you fail. And then he'll remind you that he's the one been responsible for all your victories. May I say this tonight? This has kind of been my life's theme. If you will give God credit for victory, the big revival, the soul saved, what God's adding in your life and doing it. If you'll give God the credit, give God the glory, give God the honor. There will come a time on the opposite side of the coin. If there's a time of glory and honor and praise. The opposite side of the coin says there will be a time when people accuse you. They'll criticize you. They'll attack you. They'll assault you. They'll try to defeat your character. If you will give God the credit for glory. When the attacks come, that will be on him too. And he'll handle it. And he'll defend you. But if you decide, oh yeah, look at me. I want the glory. I got the victory. Give me the credit. If you take the credit for the victory, okay. Then you can take the credit when the accusations come. And when the attacks come. And I'm telling you, I've laid, I've laid awake a many a night. Wallering because of some attack. Something that got said. And Man, I, I had rather... Put that on the Lord. He died for those things. He died to take them away. Put, just give him the glory and he'll get the credit for the victory. And when the accusations come, he'll take that too. Abraham's lifting up his hand. Now, thirdly, and I'm done. When you end this chapter, he said, the only thing I'm taking is what the young man ate as they came through here. The men that were with me, let them take their portion. That's all we're going to do. When we come down to chapter 15, preacher, you've already preached that. I'm going to preach it again. When you come to chapter 15, look. After these things. What things? Chapter 14. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Why? I have a question. Why does Abram have fear in his life? He just has won the victory. He has just refused the devil. Because he knows. That just when you reject and you deny and you refuse the devil, he's coming back again. And Abram, though he's just taken the captives from those four kings and brought them back and dispersed them to the five kings of the plain, as he leaves, he's concerned because he's rejected the king of Sodom that they will counterattack him. 
and he has fear. Have you ever had fear? Number three, write this down. You need to overcome the flesh, the fear that you have, the flesh. You need to overcome the flesh to reassure your belief. To reassure your belief. Abraham now, he's fought a battle with the world and he won victory. He rescued his brother. He's fought a battle with the devil and he got the victory. He received the blessing of Almighty God. And now he's going to fight a battle with the flesh. Oh, tonight there's all three of those types of battles. And he's battling the flesh. And when he battles his flesh, he has fear. Look what happens. God appeared to him in a vision and said, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield. <laughs> I got you, buddy. I'll be your protector. I am thy exceeding great reward. You, you might need to write this down. When you are afraid, God says, I am. Your flesh needs to hear that tonight. When your flesh is afraid, when your flesh is worried, concerned, when your flesh is panicking and freaking out, oh no, oh no, oh no, what's going to happen? How's this going to turn out? God says, I am. I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. Hallelujah. Not only is Abraham in his flesh afraid, but Abraham, you need to write this down, Abraham is impatient. Have you ever been impatient? Verse 2, Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me seeing I go childless? You made these promises to me, Lord, back in chapter number 12, and it's been almost 10 years in my life, and I still am childless. I am impatient with the promise of God. Your flesh will become impatient. Go to a doctor's office, and you sit there, and you sit there, and then they call your name, and you're so excited, and they put you in another room, and you, listen, the do, I went to a doctor's office, they put me in a waiting room, and then they, after about 45 minutes, I was early for the appointment, and they're 45 minutes late, they moved me to another room, and I sat, and they said, now this is our waiting room. I'm not kidding. And I said, this. Where was I just at? Oh, that's where we receive our patients. But now you're in the waiting room. I had to wait to wait. Then they called my name again in about 15 or 20 more minutes, and they put me in the room I would be seen, and they shut the door, and I sat there another 15 or 20 minutes. I was there almost an hour and a half from my appointment time, and some of y'all are saying, where are you going to the doctor in? It was for my back. And I'm telling you, I had all kind of trouble waiting to wait, and my flesh became very impatient. Hey, you were talking about impatient? Wait for your prayer request to be answered when you have an urgent need and you need it now. No, you need it yesterday. Man, I'm dealing with stuff right now that I need to be solved yesterday. And I can't even get it now. And I needed it yesterday. One preacher was pacing just like this. Well, the deacon says, preacher, why are you pacing? I don't understand. Why are you? You look like you're impatient. He said, the problem is I'm in a hurry and God's not. 
Your flesh will become impatient. Abraham's not been waiting an hour and a half. He's been waiting 10 years. He's becoming impatient. Watch verse 5. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. The word shall. This is what God gave me. When you are impatient, God says, I shall. You write that down. When I have fear, I am. When I'm impatient, I shall. He's going to take care of it. One more thing about your flesh. Not only does it have fear, not only is it impatient, but sometimes your flesh starts to reason with human intellect and it becomes uncertain of things. Verse 3, Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Lord, you've not given me any seeds yet. Lord, and the devil starts trying to work on his mind, work on his flesh. Saying, you know what? God gave you a promise, supposedly, allegedly. But right now, what's he done for you? Tell me, you have no seed. Ten years later, from this alleged promise, and you still have nothing. When your flesh is uncertain, look with me in verse 7. He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out. When you're uncertain, God says, I already have. Lord, you've not done anything for me. I needed this prayer request answered, and it's not, you've not done anything for me. You remember when he found you and he saved you from that life of sin and misery? You were dead in trespasses and sins. Let me just remind you of something. He already has done thing after thing after thing. He's blessed you beyond measure. He's letting you go to heaven. He's cleaned up your life. He's blessed you and blessed you and blessed you. Who do you think you are to say, Lord, you've not done anything for me? God says, I already have. When you have fear, I am. When you're uncertain, I shall. And when you start looking in your life, or, or, or not when you're uncertain, when you're impatient, when you're uncertain, God says, I already have. Look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham, praise God, he got triumph over the world, he got triumph over the devil, and he got triumph over his flesh. May I say then tonight in conclusion that God wants you to overcome, not to be overrun. Not to be overrun by the flesh, not to be overrun by the devil, not to be overrun by the world. God wants you to overcome. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. I did notice as I read the text that I never did see Lot. Even after he was rescued, he did not give God glory or thanks. He never moved away from Sodom. He stayed absolutely right there. And you know what I think? You know what I think. I don't like to preach opinion. But I think I'm going to give you one. 
just a little insight, I think. I, I believe that the king of Sodom, after Abraham refused his offer, turned to Lot and say, I'll give you a position. You will sit within the gate and be a lawmaker in the city of Sodom. And when Lot took that deal, he committed not to leave Sodom, but he sat in the gate and he made laws protecting their immoral lifestyle. The king of Sodom granted to him that position. That's why, well, I can't preach all this, but that's why when the angels came and Lot said, Hey, family, we got to get out of here. God's going to destroy it. His family didn't believe him. You know why? Because he was on the take. He, he was committed to sodomy. His, his uh, life and his lip did not match up. So tonight, I just want to say this and I'm done. Lot's going to lose his family. He's going to lose his testimony. He's going to lose his freedom. Though he is a saved man, you cannot even know it in the Old Testament. I had to read in 2 Peter chapter 2, I think, to realize that Lot was a saved man. I got one amen. Open your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. So tonight, you, child of God, are a soldier of the cross. Chapter 2, verse 7. You're a soldier of the cross. And the Lord wants you to overcome and rescue your brother. Pray for him. Get involved in their life. The Lord wants you to overcome and receive a blessing. You know what? God had much rather bless you than whoop you. My mama taught me that. <laughs> she said, I'd a whole lot rather be good to you than have to whoop you and correct you all the time. God had rather bless America than judge America. And God says, I want you to overcome the flesh that you, that you may be able to have assurance, reassurance in your belief. 2 Peter 2, 7. Maybe you need to underline it. Let's read verse 6 too. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that right now, there's a parenthesis there, and my English teacher taught me about a parenthetical statement that this is some inside information to help you understand. The Holy Ghost is giving you the inside story. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. In the parentheses, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. So just in case you say, well, he delivered just lot, the word just, preacher dear, it can mean only, because I've had that argument before. Just keep reading. God says, verse 8, that righteous man. You see it? 
Y'all don't amen me. We'll keep staying. I'll, I'll figure something else out to preach. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul. God said his soul was righteous. He vexed his soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He's making laws to protect them, but God's laws not changed. You stand to your feet. God wants us to understand faith's focus. Maybe there's somebody tonight. I'm going to give an invitation. Brother Seth, you come. Maybe there's somebody tonight. You in a battle, or you know somebody in a battle. Preacher, I came this morning. Come again. Abraham wouldn't have just went one time to the altar. Maybe there's somebody that's a preacher there, the devil. Man, I've gotten a victory in my life, and the devil has tried to louse me up and mess me up. Oh, God help me not to take a thread or a shoe latchet from that evil beast. And thirdly, God help me to overcome my flesh. I have had such a wrestling match. I realize the devil wants my home. I realize the devil wants my children. I realize the devil wants my marriage. I realize the devil wants my spouse. I realize the devil wants my preacher. Lord God, if you don't have anything to pray for, pray for me. The devil wants your preacher. Somebody ought to say, you can't have him. Father, tonight, I praise you and I honor you. Lord, you've given us victory after victory. Father, help us to realize the flesh wants the flesh. And the world seeks after the world. And the devil wants the souls and the testimonies and the joy and the fellowship. God, I pray you'd protect the marriages that comprise this church. You'd protect the youth that comprise this church. God, you'd help them in all their ways to behave themselves wisely. Lord, I ask you, Father, you'd help us to realize that even though the enemy is there to make us an offer, to tempt us, to try to defeat us, that we are not alone that our King of Righteousness and King of Peace is right there with us. And God, if we look to Him and recognize Him, our battle with the enemy would go much better, much sweeter, much easier. I'm thankful that Abraham ignored the King of Sodom and dealt with the King of Salem before the King of Sodom. God, help us to get that in the right order. God, I pray you'd rescue those that are captive and perishing. Lord, those that are, need help and can't help themselves, they're disadvantaged, God. I pray, Lord, you'd help us, God, to be a witness and testimony and to deliver them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.